As far as Keely goes, like, I did not care. <laughs> and just like the romance <laughs> they had going on, and it's like, oh, man, like, uh, like who cares? <laughs> I know that both of you stood out of your seat and started clapping when the eagles <laughs> flew down, and then Bayorn turns into a bear, and then Radagast comes in with his bunnies, and he's, like, there for some reason. No, he's riding on an eagle. That's what it was. He rode on an eagle, yeah. Still covered in bird shit. Their bird shit, more likely. Yeah, what if he had, like, a different color of bird shit on him? <laughs> and it was like, that's eagle shit. <laughs> I think we need to see the scene. What I want my R-rated cut is the scene where he applies his bird shit. <laughs> what is he doing? He's like going with our shit. Like, oh, <laughs> Radagast. Welcome, friends, to episode 245 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And I'm writer Luke Elliott. And this week we discuss Peter Jackson's 2014 film, The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies. And joining us on the battlefield this week is Laura of the Why the Book Wins podcast and YouTube channel. Welcome back to the show, Laura. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me back. So great to have you back. You know, I'm just going to unceremoniously just like jump right in like this film does and say, uh, you know, thanks for joining us for maybe the most difficult of these three films. I'm really excited to hear your perspective on it. Yeah. Overall, what's what's your history with this material? So I have history with the book and the movie. So starting with the book, I did read The Hobbit around the time the movies came out in the early 2000s. So I was like 10 or 11 or 12 and I liked it well enough. And then I tried, or I did read The Fellowship, but I'm pretty sure it was an abridged version. And then I started The Two Towers, but that's the one that I stopped reading. And then I never finished them. And then in 2017, I actually tried to read The Fellowship of the Ring, like the full version. And it was the audiobook. And yet, even with the audiobook, I just couldn't get through it. Like, <laughs> uh, which I don't want to offend people, because obviously you guys are fans of Lord of the Rings. And I know people listening probably are too. But yeah, so I enjoyed The Hobbit as a kid, but I wasn't really able to get into the series as a kid or an adult, even though I love the Lord of the Rings movies. And then I read the book again leading up to this podcast, and I enjoyed it. But yeah, fantasy just isn't my preferred genre. So even though it's fun and I like the adventure, I yeah, it just made me realize once again that it's not my preferred genre, ultimately. <laughs> wow. Well, uh... <laughs> This uh, this third film is as a, a bit of a doozy. Then, um, yeah, and it has fantasy elements in it for sure. It's very much <laughs> yeah, like so. the 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 most uh, boiled down version of a fantasy film. But it's also like something that fantasy fans, especially historically, click into, and in it's giant battles mm -hmm. and like these big wars. And for whatever reason, that that is I don't know tied to to fantasy. It seems in some ways, but I like to think that more artists now are breaking convention from that. But this, this sort of traditional idea to me of a fantasy yeah. story is like there's probably going to be a big battle in it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we, we kind of skipped over this, but I want to give you a chance to talk about your show. Oh, right. And uh, for our listeners, like what they can find on your YouTube channel, because I do I do watch some of your videos. Um, I definitely like when you do your 
breakdowns of like different special editions. You, you do mm-hmm. some cool stuff that we don't do on our show. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I film my book first movies as videos as well. And that is what my podcast is, our book first movie episodes. And then on my YouTube channel, I also do, like you said, book collection videos. I have like Easton Press and Folio Society and all these limited edition type books. And then I also just do like I do monthly wrap ups where I do a brief review of every book I read in the month. So it's mostly just other book related content I do on YouTube, as well as I've only done two, but I do like movie marathons where I watch 10 movies with a certain actor and then record my thoughts. So I want to start doing that more frequently. But yeah, so if you like books or movies, you should definitely check it out. (laughs) That's very cool. You also, uh, I know you cover memoir sometimes and some nonfiction books that get adapted, which is something we've stayed away from generally. So that's another, another difference. Yeah, so my... Preferred genres, like I love literary fiction and a lot of classics, and I love memoirs and true stories, thrillers I'll cover. But yeah, fantasy is a genre I have never covered on there. So sci-fi, I do enjoy sci-fi, but even that, like I've realized because I enjoy Harry Potter too in Chronicles of Narnia. So I enjoy like light fantasy, whereas I think Lord of the Rings is a bit too high fantasy for my taste Mm. because... Even Harry Potter and Chronicles of Narnia is still based in our world, and then they're like transported to this new world. So I feel like it's more relatable. You loved the Green Knight, so I- yeah. I'm going to argue maybe you're just not a Lord of the Rings fan, <laughs> 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 which is totally valid. And and Lord of the Rings is such a big piece of fantasy history, and uh, uh, it takes up so much space even today in the genre that it can kind of seem like synonymous with the entire genre. Yeah, but. Because there are a lot of copy like copiers out there who want to write their own Tolkien-esque fantasy. But fantasy is a very big genre, and it's got a That's lot of true. variety. You know, Harry Potter is absolutely fantasy. The Green Knight's fantasy. Uh, you know, you you got a lot of stuff, and it, it, there's a lot of variety out there. And I would like to recommend a bunch of fantasy novels to you at some point, <laughs> because I think that there are others out there that are worth worth a shot for you. And when I read Hobbit this time around, I kind of looked at it as like me trying to get into fantasy again. But you're right. Maybe I just need a. I could read modern fantasy, right? Because there's, there's certainly newer <laughs> books than The Hobbit. So, I also wanted to talk a little bit about like why we decided to have you on because you told me you're not a fan of Lord of the Rings, and I said, well, we're covering you know The Hobbit, and if you'd like to come on, you can. You, you said you were interested. I thought it would be interesting to have someone on who is a fan of adaptations. Like mm-hmm. obviously, you have a whole channel about it. Fan of books, you read a lot. Yeah. Um, but th- you know, this isn't really your thing. So that you can provide that perspective, because like you said, James and I, we're big fans of Lord of the Rings and we're fans of Tolkien and we we, we love a lot of those movies. Um, Genre fiction in general. I'm very drawn to sci-fi, fantasy, horror, like those tend to be like my safe zones. And so it's funny that like us going out of our comfort zones are very normal, approachable novels that many people have read, <laughs> you know, Emma or something. And it's so far yeah. out of our comfort zone. It's very funny. <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, we thought it, it would be cool to have that perspective on and at least be something kind of different to, to finish up here. And honestly, like, I didn't know how I'd feel about this movie going into it. Like, I, I've, I saw it once in the theater, just to give my background on it when it came out. And I remember being disappointed. Um, and then going home going like, man, that really was not what I wanted from a Hobbit adaptation. And then I just kind of forgot about this movie. Like I just out of sight, out of mind. So like watching it this time, tons of stuff I didn't remember. I know that there are added scenes because we watched extended edition, but beyond that, I'm sure a lot of this movie just, I totally forgot about. Um, and yeah, I have a lot of thoughts, but do we, let's start with Laura. Like, what did you think overall of, um, 
maybe so you said you watched all three films so maybe like leading mm-hmm. up to this movie where were you at and then this movie in particular the first one i remember very little about that theater experience i don't know what i thought about it because i just don't remember but the second time around i saw that one as well in theaters and i remember thinking i guess i wasn't like in touch with movie news because i thought it would only be two movies and so going into the second movie i remember as it near the end, I was like, man, they are like not going to be wrapping it up in this movie. And so by the end of the movie, I walked out of the theater so angry that they were turning it into three <laughs> movies. And so because of that, I was like, I'm boycotting the third movie. I am not going to go see it. And so I had never seen the third one until this time around. Wow. We talked about uh, audience goers that had that experience, too. We talked about like yeah. sort of if you weren't plugged in because it, it was a last minute thing, right? Yeah. They announced it as two movies for a long time, I think. Mm-hmm. And then until 2014, like like basically when the th- second one came out leading up to that, they decided to cut it all up really quickly and turn it into three. And so that third one was really like a shock to everyone, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it just feels like I think the main reason it bothered me and still bothers me is it feels like they were doing it just for the money. Like, let's just make it three movies and even more money rather than just from two. And uh, yeah, because it was obviously very unnecessary, which and on as far as adaptations go, like I know you guys cover a lot of TV shows, but I've never covered a TV show adaptation just because one, it takes so much time. But two, I kind of like that with adaptations, they have to condense things. And I think it's an interesting challenge in seeing how they condense it. Whereas this one, like they didn't try to condense it and they just... They just made a whole TV show in three movies, basically. Yeah, so it's just so (laughs) unnecessary. And yeah, I feel like there's things that work in books, but not in movies. And so I think it's good for movies to just cut some things out. Whereas in here, like, yeah, it was just too much. (laughs) We talked in our last uh, episode that this the the expansion that was done with this story too feels like Peter Jackson is just like a scholar trying to like make sure everything is there for the audience to see more than having like enjoyably uh, brief and uh, propelling stories in a way like they seem to kind of stick around a lot longer Mm -hmm. than audiences maybe want and we like like Luke said earlier all three of us we watched the extended edition which is I believe 20 minutes longer around 20 minutes longer um, and I watched some of the extended scenes they're the ones that you think that they are they they felt less to me like extended edition like when I watched the extended Lord of the Rings I feel like he's doing that for the Tolkien fans and here these felt like what were deleted scenes like yeah. scenes that shouldn't have made the cut that they add back in due to obligation to kind of live up to the extended edition from the original trilogy yeah at that point they had a they had a track record of having extended editions and they knew that that sold right that makes sense so so james general thoughts on battle of five armies and then i'm then i'm gonna go <laughs> yeah um i mean overall I watched the appendices as I did the last two weeks and it gives you this emotional attachment to the people working on it. And I'm always going to be softer on this movie because of that. And it's crazy to think about artists getting to practice their art and getting to be the top of their class, all trying to come together and, and, you know, do this insurmountable task of putting together three movies in three years. For example, like you get to see the relationships between people building over time. And I unfortunately read that after this film, soon after this film, uh, the cinematographer actually passed away. And this is the cinematographer that worked with Peter Jackson on all three Lord of the Rings films and all three Hobbit films. Mm-hmm. So you think about like the memories and the experiences that you get to share with people like this when you're getting to do what any artist wants to do and just practice your art and like how it can still be such a fulfilling experience for those people, even if the movie doesn't live up to what we want it to be. Now, with all that being said, 
this I I mean it's a bummer because I talked about in the last two weeks about the potential of this of this adaptation and how incredible it could be how much I was always looking forward to it and how it it and I remember feeling a lot like Laura where I felt like it was a cash grab like they're doing all this to clearly make more movies to make more money and the more I think about it the more it's just this like weird excess that that Peter Jackson couldn't be reined in he wanted to film everything and create everything on this really small timetable and because of that maybe even because of that they didn't have time to decide what really fit the the mold of the story they were trying to tell this film and the end of the last film were basically the beginning and end of one film and then the, the original film and the beginning of uh desolation of smog were an, an additional film and it still feels like that, that to me like all of the scenes feel like they were ripped just like stalling for time a lot of the time my my point being these like battle scenes and all this extra stuff that they did uh, really led to more spectacle than anything. And, and things that I remember about the film are some of the character interactions and some of the scenes that certain characters share together. And then everything else is, we just watched it and I'm forgetting most of how the flow of the battle happens and how who's doing what and what area. They're all split up around in this battlefield. And it just sort of loses that, what you get in the Lord of the Rings films with the battles, which is like very clear and concise battle movements. And it feels like a, a living, breathing organism where this just feels like a lot of scenes. And then you have like sprawling CG, like battles happening and crazy stuff happening. So I don't know. I, I'm not saying anything that anyone hasn't said before. I feel like this is the general consensus on this movie, but overall just a bummer that this is like a, something that, could have really been celebrated by the fantasy community and instead is something that we kind of just have to look at and be like, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> it was, you know, it was fine. And there are things that I wish weren't in it and things that I wish they had done better. Yeah. And you mentioned it kind of being forgettable. And yeah, that's kind of how I feel about all three. Like there's certain moments where I'm like, like in specific moments between characters where it's like, oh, that was a good moment and that'll stand out. But so much of it is just like already hard to remember. And I only watched, I watched the two as you were recording them. So the other two I watched like two weeks ago and last week. And those first two movies, I'm already starting to forget <laughs> because they, for me, they just weren't very memorable. And yeah, the battle scenes in like Return of the King, like I love those battle scenes. But in this movie, it was just like, oh man, like, can we just get through this? Cause this isn't even interesting and it's not exciting. Yeah. And at the halfway point, I, I was like, I'm ready for this to be over. I'm ready for this to like start to wrap up and get to that, that closing, you know, falling action of the film. And, yeah. and then, you know, you're, you still got an hour and a half left or whatever hour. So you said it was fine. I don't think it's fine. Um, I, w I will put the caveat out there of Peter Jackson is clearly a talented, brilliant director who has made some of the movies I love most. Uh, Lord of the Rings are, are untouchable to me, fantastic films. And he's done a lot of other stuff that you've talked about that is really interesting. This is a disaster of an adaptation. It's one of the worst adaptations I think we've covered on the podcast. And particularly this third movie is where it completely falls apart. The soul of, Lord, of uh, The Hobbit, to me, is absent from this movie. And we talk all the time about, like, we're totally fine with filmmakers coming in and changing things and putting their own spin on things. But what we want is the soul of the piece of art being adapted to be present in the adaptation to where it shines through and something about it feels true to the source. That's typically the case of what we want. Certainly what the, I would have wanted out of a Hobbit adaptation. 
that is present in the first film, for sure. The second film, it starts getting lost. To me, there was no Hobbit soul in this movie. The scenes that are, like, absolutely iconic that you have to nail, to me, even those didn't didn't happen. Like, there was very few where I thought, like, this was a well-done one, I mean, we'll get into specific scenes, but there was just a few times where I was like, okay, guys, just, just nail this scene for me, and then I'll, I'll start giving you some more credit. And then they would flop, they would flop it, they would, they would mess up the lines, they would change it for some reason that was beyond my understanding of what <laughs> was going into these screenplays. Like, it was a disaster, and I, I like I hate being negative on here, and I feel bad bringing Laura on on an episode <laughs> where I'm going to be shitting on a movie. But I know that James works in film, and he's going to be kind of forgiving of a lot of this stuff. And I I get it. You know, there's a lot of artists at the top of their game putting a lot of work into these movies. I'm not trying to say that there wasn't a ton of work done. There clearly was. And if you want spectacle, yeah, there's spectacle. But the spectacle is devoid of stakes. Um, the storytelling is poor all around it. It feels rushed. It feels sloppy. And it feels lazy. And it, I don't know, it's, to me, again, one of the worst adaptations we've ever covered on the podcast. I agree with basically everything you said. You have to obviously think about a strong vision and someone like putting a foot down and saying like these things need to happen. And that's ultimately what it was lacking. And I do blame Peter Jackson for that some. You know, I think he was up against a wall, but he he chose to do this and, uh, you know, begrudgingly, but he came into it and decided to do this and then continue to expand. So if you, if you know, if you wanted to, take on a role like this and try to make it work. Don't don't bite off more than you can chew, which clearly he did here with not a, with the, I I fully guarantee that if he had enough time and enough people in the right places, this could have been and that's the the biggest thing for me is that potential again. This could have been something incredible. And I do I, I do think that there are things that I love about this movie. Overall, I agree. One of the worst in terms of like ca- capturing that essence that we want to see from an, from an adaptation like this, it just doesn't it, it it doesn't need to exist, and it really doesn't feel like its own movie. The the beginning of this movie, like I talked about, starts out right away. So weird. It's like the end of Desolation of Smog is just at the start of this movie, and it doesn't feel like a movie. It doesn't feel at all like a movie, and any of the any of the familiar things you expect to see in a movie, and and then that ends pretty quickly, and then we're left in this weird like sort of limbo where the film hasn't started yet because it was finishing up the last movie. And, and I don't mind that choice if it's plotted well, and it just didn't feel like it was, it wasn't, the decision wasn't made correctly. Um, and then ultimately getting back to what you said too, a lot of this loses some of the stakes. And I started to feel like this would be really cool as like, if you're playing a video game and you like finish a level and then you see some of these clips happening and then you jump back into the combat and you're fighting, it felt legitimately like a video game to me for, for a lot of it. Um, where you're getting these really cool scenes that like you feel are rewarding once you've accomplished something in a game. But yet this they're trying to like, you know, get us, keep us invested in all these other things. And again, I, I there are some scenes that I like, and we'll talk about those along the way. There are a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Laura. So you're not a big fan of Lord of the Rings. You've already established that. And I'm sure you're coming in thinking, oh, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who are fans of this movie. And I think that's probably true. I don't know about fans of the movie. Fans, fans of the Hobbit, at least, and and maybe and, and there's probably a lot of people who think the movie's fine. It's part of the overall tapestry of Lord of the Rings. I think um, maybe they look at it as the weakest. I think that's probably safe to say. Uh, although I don't know, Desolation definitely has some weaker moments too. But anyway, um, I guess my question is, as the non-fan, um, did you look at this and say like this is what I don't like about 
Lord of the Rings? Or did you look at this as more of an aberration of like this movie in particular just seems really off? Well, I want to defend Laura, too. She did say she liked the Lord of the Rings film, so she doesn't yeah. dislike Lord of the Rings. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's true. And, and honestly, it's that is a good distinction because like the Lord of the Rings books are quite different as far as like mm-hmm. pacing and, and you know a lot of stuff. So Yeah, well, like James was saying, battle scenes are such a big part of fantasy stories. And we didn't really get that in the first two movies, but this one is so much battle scene. And yeah, I'm definitely not a fan of that, of like fight scene. Well, one-on-one fight scenes I like, but like battle scenes, I just don't particularly enjoy. So I feel like just that fact alone, it was almost a guarantee that I wouldn't love it. Does this feel like the kind of stuff where you're watching it and you're like, oh yeah, this is why I don't like it? Um, I wouldn't say that. I think this was just a poorly done movie all the way okay. around. So I think with fantasy books, it's like too much you're having to learn along the way. Mm. So that's one thing. Whereas this one, like I already knew what I needed to know and it was just kind of boring and tedious and it was supposed to be exciting, but it wasn't. And also, I know you guys talked about this in past episodes, but like all their references to Lord of the Rings, it's like, we get it. Like, (laughs) this is leading up to Lord of the Rings. Like, stop it already. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One thing I do remember when I saw the first one in theaters is, yeah, it did in the Shire in the beginning. Like, you just felt that excitement, like, oh, like, you know, Middle Earth and Hobbits and Gandalf. So it worked for me at times. Although this time around, I didn't love that they started with Frodo and Bilbo. I think they should have just started with, you know, young Bilbo. Yeah, so it does work to some extent, but it's just like, you know, when Legolas sees the picture of Gimli and he's like, oh, like Gimli, like obviously. And then at the end (laughs) telling him like, oh, why don't you meet this guy named Strider? And just like... (laughs) Those are some of the moments that didn't work for me. Yeah, and so it was moments like that where just the constant references. Yeah, I, I, you know, I agree with what Laura's saying. And and there was something really clever with the way the score is like toying with starting, starting up that iconic the the ring you know like the ring as a theme and it's like mm-hmm. playing with you making you think it's going to start and then he finally gets the ring out and it it starts to play and what it did to me was make me go okay this movie's trash but <laughs> i could go watch the lord of the rings now and those movies are good and this is reminding me of that so in that sense i guess it worked because it like reminded me that i don't completely hate everything peter jackson has done whereas by the end of this movie i'm kind of ready to um, so in that sense, it's like a lifeline. I'm like, yes. Oh yes. That's right. There is good, good stuff here. Um, and maybe that's what I'm feeling too. Maybe that's more, <laughs> it's more of that than anything else. Just there, there are some moments that feel like they transcend the story in ways. And I think it's got to just be the nostalgia goggles for me from, from feeling like childhood and other things yeah. being my, that I've buried deep down. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think this is obvious that we're ready to start talking about specific scenes. So before yeah. we get into that. Do you have any background stuff? I know you watch the appendices, uh, any of that stuff you want to talk touch on? So much, so much. But I think this is a good time to talk about something that we haven't yet, and it's the budget and the box office and the critical reception of these films. We haven't talked about it on any of the episodes, right, so I yeah. think it's a good time. And I think some of this, some of this data, if you want to just take it as that, is surprising. Um, so let's start with an unexpected journey. The budget for an unexpected journey is somewhere between two hundred and three hundred fifteen million, and it grossed. Just over a billion dollars. Wow. Okay. On just the first movie <laughs> That's alone. That's profitable. Yeah. And this is where, this is like so, when it gets into the critical stuff is where I feel like it's very interesting. The meta score, which is, you know, I, I, and I didn't look at Rotten Tomatoes just because I feel like an aggregate score isn't, it's kind of deceiving for a lot of audiences. So I'd go to meta score, which is like the critical consensus all averaged together. Um, 58 for an unexpected journey. Yeah. Um, which, hmm. to, which I, 
I can see it. I, I definitely can see it. I think there were a lot of people who were feeling the same way as us. Like, this is okay. It has problems. Yeah. We're going to hope that it gets better. That's like an optimistic right. so, score to me. <laughs> that's the critical reception. And then the user score is somewhere around an 8 out of 10. Wow. Which I'm definitely above a 58 on that yeah. first film. I don't know that I want to put a number on it, but I'm definitely above a 58. But the reason I bring it up... Is that 58? Is that 58% of critics gave it a positive review? No, that's that's the aggregate score from Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Okay, so this is more... So this like, is literally just you take... Uh, like they all give numbers 1 to 100 and then you average them together. Okay. Um, which I think is a better data point. Um, the reason I bring all that up with the unexpected journey is the Desolation of Smog's meta score, which is the critical average, is a 66. So it went up. Hmm. So it went up. Well, I mean, I could see Benedict Cumberbatch's Smog. There's certain things for critics to latch onto here. There are things to really like in the Desolation of Smog, um, but there's a lot of stuff to really not like. So yeah, I don't <laughs> think I would have been that hot on it too. User score goes down to a 7.7. Interesting. Still fairly high. There's a lot of goodwill that Peter Jackson had bought, I think, with Lord of the Rings, and that's showing you a little bit in those user scores. The budget for Desolation of Smog was somewhere around 191 to 250 million, and it grossed just under a billion at 959 million. Okay. Wow. So they're they're money makers through those two movies. When you're making when you're making money with a B, uh, <laughs> that that's why like I don't. Like as much as I will give credit to you know all the many people who worked on this, like I don't feel too bad being critical. This thing made a billion dollars. No. <laughs> Each of these movies made a billion dollars. So no, and and that's my my point was just always that there's a different side to it. Like if if you work on this, you probably still that's still your life that you got to live and got to, to create these amazing things and got to do all of this and meet these amazing people. And I think that's something that that gets lost for most. Uh, for your average viewer, I, yeah. I think that, well, that kind of... And even if they know that that's true, ultimately, like, that's not going to make you like a movie. No, it doesn't, and it, it totally doesn't. But I think that it's 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 still valuable. We're getting to see some, someone create art. And I think that anyone who gets to pursue art in that way, you know, I don't hold it against most of the people who work on these films because you don't, in most cases, you don't know if it's good until you see it in the theater. That's true. So true. a lot of these people thought they were making the best movie ever right. and having a great time doing it. All right. Battle of Five Armies, box office, the budget was 250 to 300 million, box office 962 million. Yeah, just under a billion. Yep, just under a billion. So all of them made just under a billion, and the meta score for Battle of Five Armies is a 59, one point higher than an unexpected journey. Nah, wow. disagree with that. Totally disagree, no which is way. my whole reason for bringing all these data points. <laughs> they were just happy it was finally over. <laughs> I'm just I, I was shocked because like my my scores definitely follow more of the users. Whereas when I look at critical scores, in some cases, I'm pretty close to the critics. I want to interrogate the data on it, honestly, for that, because I'm like, did a lot of critics just not review this movie? At a certain point, did they go like, this isn't for me, like this franchise isn't for me anymore. This trilogy isn't I think, for me, so I'm not even going to review this last yeah, film. I got you. I got you if you want the data points. So 40 <laughs> critical reviews, and these are like reputable like magazines and variety and all this. They average all those kinds of critics together. 40 critics on An Unexpected Journey, 44 on Desolation of Smog, and 46 on hmm. Battle of Five Armies. Okay. My scores f mirror a lot more the user scores. I would say that if, you know, eight is pretty high for an yeah, unexpected journey for me, that's pretty but high. then 7.7 for Desolation Smog, still a little high, but on its way down. And then 6.9 is the user score for uh, Battle of Five Armies. Yeah. That's still high, but I, there's a lot of people who just are going to like it because it's Lord right. of the Rings. There was a contingent of audience members who would go to see a movie like this. And because it had a ton of action and they could kind of shut their brain off, that walk away just being like, yeah, sure, it was a it was a big big dumb battle action sequence, <laughs> yeah. and like that's that's enough for them, which yeah. you know, 
it's not why we have a podcast about adaptations. Uh, the Battle but. of the Fast and the Furious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and that's one of the reasons why I am so mad about it because that's not what The Hobbit is. Mm. Like you've taken a book and changed it to be this like massive action spectacle vehicle that is just not that. And you know, you could argue Lord of the Rings has a lot of battles in it and you know obviously you got Helm's Deep and you got Pelennor Fields and you got all these big battle sequences so there's a natural adaptation and to take that and to make it into a spectacular spectacle filled movie but then you look at The Hobbit and like that's not what that book is in the appendices they talked a lot about Peter Jackson and how he has like he I told you he he has done that World War One documentary recently he he is very into uh, Napoleonic Wars and looking into strategy and that kind of thing. And I think this this was his chance to indulge in that too. Is he, he and like they were talking about how they would get together, some of the executives would like Peter Jackson and above the line positions would get together and play risk and things like that. And he would always win. So like this was his attempt to do something where he wanted to like have forces on the field and be able to show their movements and all this stuff. I mean, I would argue he didn't maybe like nail that down. It didn't it didn't come out maybe how he wanted it to. He was I think he set out to make this war film that was going to be all battles. And it really does. The whole movie is just a third act. If you're talking about moving forces around on a field um, as far as positioning, he did an okay job with that. But when you talk about medieval warfare and actually smart tactics, Mm-hmm. That's completely absent in this movie. <laughs> and honestly, yeah. it's pretty absent in a lot of Hollywood medieval style fantasy movies. And it's one of my big frustrations is how often mm-hmm. they make boneheaded decisions just because it looks better on camera, I think. Yeah. You have the dwarves have a certain battle style. They put their shields in the dirt and they create like these that. things. And, and they have the elves move in uniform in the way that they are stacked. They're and robots. roll out of formation. They are robots. Well, they're all CG. <laughs> so, of course, they're, they're all robots. CG robots. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're all just to tell you this. Most of the most of the troops that you see are like mocap performances by a few uh, performers in a mocap stage, and then just like multiplied into the battlefield. So there's that. I'm not I'm not surprised. So uh, getting back to the battle thing, and I mentioned Napoleonic Wars. They looked to tapestries of the time from the sort of the sprawling battle with like just thousands of soldiers and being able to differentiate who's on what side and they really wanted to go in. And I'm just, again, giving you the appendices so that we have some context here of what they were shooting for um, was to kind of bring some of those large battlefield tapestries to life. And I think in some cases I can understand that sort of big bird's eye view of these battles looking like that. But I just, it doesn't make for the most interesting narrative (laughs) to have big wide shots of things clashing together, unfortunately. Yeah. Unless they're real people. And comparing it with the book, like so much of the battle we don't even see in The Hobbit. Yeah. It's just like Bilbo, like he gets knocked out or something that's told after the fact. So the yeah. book wasn't even like this battle thing. I mean, it, you're taking a World War One veteran story that is often about the horrors of war and um, how like little people get so swept up in these larger events and yet can still play a powerful role, but a lot of the horror there and you that's gone that's not in this movie at all you know what i mean like that's <laughs> there's a little bit with bilbo but i i definitely it's like he's just showing up occasionally to like make a token statement to remind you he's in this movie agreed when he does show up most of the time like you said you made a really good point and it kind of didn't click until now and that's just that like a lot of war films that i dislike this film makes a spectacle of just 
death and destruction yeah. and something that I'm not for. So it's just like, isn't this cool? And it's mm-hmm. like, no, not it's not. That's not the point of the story. It's supposed to be horrifying, like you know, epic and like scary and yeah this all becomes like heroes rise and things like that yeah this all becomes how cool is this look at this you know wild troll that you know has maces for feet and stuff like there's so many wild things they decided to do and like it's that it's a little bit of that tone problem i was talking about elsewhere but you've taken the idea of like a fun childhood whimsy and applied it to a, a horrific battle and because of that it's it is so bizarre and I don't know. It does not work for me at all. I, I can get maybe from a, like a pure spectacle point of view. Some of it is pretty cool. Like a video game, like I said. Let's get into some of the other stuff. I'll read some some of the plot here in a second. But we the, the, some one of the things that we liked is the complexity that's added in The Hobbit that's kind of changes it from a children's story after the death of Smog. You get like the dwarves sort of starting to get this dragon sickness and Thorin. And I wanted to get both of your perspective and and your thoughts on how the Thorin dragon sickness and everything developed with that and the way that he was turning away from allies and being irrational and all of that. Uh, yeah, so I love that part in the book because usually I feel like after the dragon is slayed, they have the treasure it would kind of be like, okay, happy ending. So I love in the book how that happens where Thorin, you know, becomes, gets dragon sickness and becomes with the treasure, obsessed with the treasure. And in the movie, uh, like there's that part where it's like the distorted voice of Thorin talking as he's like obsessed with the gold and wanting it to be his and that whole sequence where he's like drowning in the gold. I thought it was kind of cool. Like I didn't hate it. (laughs) Was that an added scene? I don't think so. And I think there had to be a turning point because we saw so much of him sort Mm -hmm. of being that evil Thorin and then there this was that was their way of representing it so we could like move him along. So in the original cut of the movie, he gets swallowed by liquid gold. Like he does. I believe so, yes. Wow. Okay. I did I not remember so. that scene at all. I was convinced it was an excellent <laughs> one. Uh, but another part with that, too, I liked was how there's a part when he's still in the dragon sickness, and then he sees Bilbo, and I think Bilbo had been holding the Arkenstone, but then he shows him it's an acorn instead, and he talks about how he's going to uh, plant it at home, and it's going to become a tree, and he'll look at it, and Thorin is like almost softened by this, and it almost like brings him back in a way and like centers him to the truth, but then ultimately, uh, I forget what interrupts them. But I did like that moment between him and Bilbo. But great scene, I, yeah. I agree. That was one that stood out to me that I liked at least their relationship there. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things that's frustrating to me. That that is a genuinely interesting story that's in this part of the movie in this battle of five armies. Thorin and Bilbo's relationship is at the heart of this, and the betrayal that happens. Bilbo's plan to steal the Arkenstone and give it to the other side, the personal betrayal that is to Thorin, and then what that does to relationship, and then the the opportunity to repair it later in the movie. And this is the stuff that I said, like, I don't care what else is going on in this movie. If they can nail these scenes, I will ultimately feel better about this movie than I I remember, because I want to give them credit. And so I was very frustrated that, to me, they did not nail those scenes. And... I agree about that acorn moment. That was a good moment. There was a few moments in there that did okay. The dragon sickness to me was handled in a way that made it feel very heavy handed. They kept making these references to Gollum and the ring, which confused matters to me because it made it seem like there maybe there was something magical going on, like some sort of magical corruption of the mind. They did hint that maybe like because the dragon had been sitting on the gold for so long, it had gotten like magically tainted, which I'm okay with. But that taint should be different than the ring 
Unless, I don't know, unless they're trying to, like, say that these two are one and the same, the forces are the same. I, I didn't take it as one and the same, more of, um, in comparison to each other, there is some similarities. Like, the ring isn't the only thing that can corrupt minds in, in Middle-earth. Right, but, yeah, I mean, every now and then he would say a phrase that, like, Gollum says, and I feel like that would be, like, a direct, like, callback to, or call ahead. <laughs> I wanted to see Thorin be less of a, like, raving lunatic about it, and instead explain like sound kind of reasonable in his in his thoughts because i feel like you could have a character who sounds very reasonable explain why he doesn't want to help thinks that they need to hoard the gold like he could still be being incredibly greedy but to me the writing was not very good at conveying a rational mind that is um sort of tweaked in the wrong direction and instead he was just so far gone and so obviously bad to me, again, it's like two broad strokes, and and it felt like they were trying to rush those scenes so they could get back to the fights. Like, come on, this is this is the mo- start parts of the movie you should be focusing on, and they just didn't. And then I don't know, like the payoff of it is where I also come back to like it just didn't didn't pay off the way I wanted it to. And um, I'll just give a quick shout out to our coverage <laughs> of the a- animated movie uh, because I think the animated hobbit and like that movie didn't stand the test of time as well as i wanted it to admittedly but i still feel like the way they handled the battle of five armies is superior in the animated film and particularly thorin and his final scenes with with uh, bilbo i think are better in the animated hobbit <laughs> uh i'm gonna read some plot really quick and kind of catch us up to what we're talking about right. bilbo and the dwarves watch from the lonely mountain as the dragon smog sets lake town ablaze Bard breaks out of prison and eventually kills Smog with the Black Arrow. That's just to, just a note. That was two sentences uh, into our summary. Wait, wait, here. wait! Can we stop and talk about that scene before we move on? Sure. Because otherwise, I feel like we're going to leave it. We're going to completely lose. So, so that that starting thing. Um, first off, I still like Smog a lot. I, I think the strafing run of the fire looks incredible. It looks terrifying. The whole town is immediately on fire. Like how quickly he like raises Lake Town is pretty amazing. And then we have Tor- Tar- Tariel. How do you say her name? Tariel. Yeah. Tariel. She's in the boat with the kids. And then um, this was my first time where I'm like, what is she doing with her like choices as a performance? Because as far as I can tell, Tariel has no reaction to anything in this entire movie other than stuff related to her dwarven bow. Keely. Keely. Like if it's if it has something to do with him, she like reacts. She looks around at all these like people burning to death, and she has a flat face, doesn't care at all, never sheds a tear for anyone other than him, doesn't care. And I'm like, this is not a good way to make me like this character. Well, elves also tend to. I feel like, I mean, I guess it's one or the other, right? They either don't but care. But like Legolas, Legolas cares. You know what I mean? Like, and he's the main elf we see the most of in Lord of the Rings. But like, he emotes when he sees stuff. Like when he's at the two towers and he's like looking at the people fighting. Like he he cares. She doesn't give a shit. She's like she looks like she couldn't care less. She's with these kids who look like they could drown in front of her. She wouldn't mind. Like she doesn't care. Yeah, I like I said, ancient being versus mortals. There's either that elf or there's the elf who is very connected and and very sympathetic to all life. So are you are, are you are you proposing this was on purpose? That they wanted Tariel to appear to not care about all the death around her. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to put my foot in either camp. No. What do you think, Laura? Uh, yeah, I liked that it was cool that they had like a female character because obviously the book The Hobbit doesn't have any. But then 
like her whole romance with Keely was dumb. And so it was just annoying that they made this love triangle thing going on where it's like, why not just have her be this awesome female elf warrior who cares about people dying? Who actually cares about what's going yeah. on? Yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, I was just disappointed with her character all the way around. I did not like her story. And I was just like, really? Although as far yeah. as women go, they do show the women of Lake Town. Like they're like, woman and children out. But then the women are like, oh, we're going to go fight too. So I thought that was another cool addition, but... It was okay. <laughs> it was a little cheesy. <laughs> it was a little cheesy. It was very like, we're going to have them all go, but then they're going to have this moment of like, we're going to... I don't know. Okay, okay. I like what they were trying to do, but it wasn't sure. well executed. Again, it's one of those times where it's like, if the movie was better, I'd probably give them more credit. But at a certain point, I get to the... Or I get like mad at a movie. I'm ready to just like have the knives out for everything. So anyway... Yeah. Also, do do more. Like, if you want to do that, do more and like actually have a full moment. Do more. Show them do something. You just, you show them deciding to do something, but then we don't see yeah. them do anything. Which yeah, right. with Lord of the Rings, I mean, you have uh, the Liv Tyler character, but you have the other I don't know the names, but the blonde character who like kills the ring wraith during the battle, like Arwen and Eowyn. That was a little cheesy, but it was an awesome the witch, moment. The Witch King of Angmar. Yeah, and so this movie, like this movie, did not do a good job doing that. Great character. Um, Okay, so the other thing I want to talk about is the 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 shooting of Smog. What the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, it, I know. It, it, I know. <laughs> he takes the bow, gets chopped in half, and he just stabs it in two random pieces of wood. And then he like strings a bow, and he has his son put his head right in the path of the bowstring. And then he draws it back, and he has him move his shoulder, and he fires it, and like somehow the string doesn't just like hit his son right in the throat. Not that it would kill him or something, but it would hurt like hell. And I don't think it would be a good way to fire a bow. I think it's safe to say this would not work. And it's it's one of those decisions that's so, like, yeah, they didn't need to do that. This was an unforced error. Like, why choose to do this bullshit? And this kind of bullshit keeps coming up over and over again, where they're just taking something and going to bizarre lengths to make it weird and over-the-top spectacle. And it just doesn't work. And I was so frustrated because I was trying to enjoy Smog, and I know it's his final moments in the movie, and we actually get a little bit of him talking, which I'm like, yes, thank you. I like hearing Smog talk. He says interesting things. He's an interesting creature. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of ruined by the bullshit that's going on on top of this tower. I have a soft spot for talking dragons, I realized from watching this. Like, I've been watching Game of Thrones, and, like, they don't talk in those. And, like, honestly, if I were to write dragons, they probably wouldn't talk either because it kind of makes sense to me for them to be these, like, animals that don't have human speech however all that being said i think maybe just because of smog i've always liked a talking dragon it's cool it creates a very different kind of character um obviously it imbues them with like a humanity which is interesting when you're considering what you're actually dealing with and i don't know like i would i just i wanted more fantasy with terrifying talking dragons i guess i agree i love smog and the desolation of smog like his whole part i was loving and also, like you said, same with the scene with Gollum in the first movie, like the riddle and like the battle of wits, like those scenes are so much more interesting than like the battle scenes we have in this third yeah. movie. Yeah. And that's why Tolkien wrote him in like 10 pages. Because <laughs> <laughs> he also wasn't that interested in writing about big battles that much. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny that like, you know, some of my favorite parts of Lord of the Rings when I was very young were battles where, you know, Helm's Deep and all. And these are still incredible fight scenes and everything. Yeah. But, well, they have actual they have actual stakes in those movies too. But I care. It just you know, as I've developed, I think as a as a 
you know, consumer of these kinds of stories, like I care so much less about that than just like an amazing scene between very cool characters yeah. where mm-hmm. they just talk one another across a table, like, you know, and give me some cool lore and build up a world and, you know, some stakes to it. So I, I guess I can see Peter Jackson making this for kids in a way. We had this perspective last week of Kate Ristow, who uh, said that she watched with her son, which I think is is really cool. And I think could definitely give a different, you know, perspective on these films, especially right. with this being so battle heavy. Um, yeah and that's true i can see a kid like kind of geeking out about a lot of this stuff but like that's like a first time watch maybe a second time i don't know i think i want to say like kids like good storytelling too like they do yeah so like pixar has proven that right like they a lot of pixar has great storytelling even though they're clearly made for kids and if you marry both things i mean that's when you're getting the best of both worlds all right smog's body falling crushes the master of Lake Town and his cronies who are escaping on a boat with the town's gold. Bard becomes the new leader of Lake Town and guides its people to seek refuge in the ruins of Dale. Thorin, having become possessive of the vast treasure in the mountains, searches obsessively for the Arkenstone, which Bilbo has previously found but kept hidden. Upon hearing that Lake Town survivors had fled to Dale, he orders the entrance of the Lonely Mountain sealed off. Meanwhile, Galadriel, Elrond, and Saruman arrive at Dul Guldur, and free Gandalf, sending him to safety with Radagast. They battle and defeat the Nazgul and then face a formless Sauron himself. Galadriel defeats him in a duel of wills and banishes him and his forces to the east. Azog, marching on Erebor with his vast orc army, sends his son Bolg to Mount Gundabad to summon their second army. Legolas and Tariel witness the march of Bolg's army bolstered by orc berserkers and giant bats. Thranduil and an elf army arrive in Dale to reclaim a treasure once withheld from them by the dwarf king Thror. Bard asks Thorin for the share of gold previously promised to the people of Lake Town, but Thorin refuses. Gandalf arrives at Dale to warn Bard and Thranduil of Azog, but Thranduil dismisses him. Bilbo sneaks the Arkenstone out of Erebor and hands it over to Thranduil and Bard so that they can trade it for the promised treasure and prevent a battle. Thorin angrily refuses the proposal while Bilbo chides him for letting greed cloud his judgment. Thorin nearly kills Bilbo but is stopped by Gandalf. Thorin's cousin, Dane, arrives with his dwarf army and a battle of dwarves against elves and men ensues until Azog's army arrives. The forces of Dane, Thranduil, and Bard, along with Gandalf and Bilbo, immediately band together against the orcs. A second front is opened when the orcs attack Dale, forcing Bard to withdraw his forces to defend the city. There's going to be a quiz on all those details, Laura. So. Right, right, right. And all the names. <laughs> yeah. You have the perfect pronunciation. Uh, we already talked about uh, Thorin, so we can we can kind of skip over a little bit of that. But um, let's jump to the uh, Galadriel, Elrond, Saruman, Gandalf, yeah. Nazgul, Sauron fight. <laughs> uh, with, like, Galadriel, you guys kind of have touched on this already, but, yeah, like, all these returning characters, Legolas and Galadriel and... Uh, the other elf being some of the big ones. Like, it just felt so unnecessary. However, I love Kate Blanchett. Like, I'll never complain about her being in a movie. But, um, yeah, another part where she, like, defeats Sauron and she gets, like, the weird dark look. I thought the CGI, it was, like, distractingly bad in that scene. Yeah, I, I do think that that is a callback. Like, they wanted to look very similar to how it looked in Fellowship when she did this for a second. And it also looks bad in that mm-hmm. movie. And it still looks bad. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't look good. It looks scary for for sure, but it's like a weird, like, black and blue look 
that doesn't really like, I don't know, it, it's kind of weird. But I, I, you know, let's talk about this in, in the context of Rings of Power now too a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Gandalf has one of the Elven we, Rings apparently. Elven Rings, I did not know that. Um, and I, I guess I knew that maybe Elrond and Galadriel had Elven Rings or maybe they don't, maybe they yeah. do. Is that canon? I, I, Lord of the Rings people let me know. I don't remember him having an Elven Ring of Power in the books, but maybe he does. But like, so why isn't he using that in Fellowship? If, maybe if, he does, I don't know. Maybe I I was trying to draw and figure out how Galadriel has powers and can speak telepathically yeah. and can do all these just shatter an orc in like a second. Oh yeah. And I have to assume that she has somewhat experimented with the darker side of these rings and has like allowed herself to delve into what these rings of power that the even the elves were given are capable of. And so she has one. Okay. You know what you just did? You just you just developed a plot line for rings of power that I hope they actually pursue. <laughs> Right. That would be interesting. It would be cool to see like like her her try to try to basically use Sauron's power against himself, something to use the rings of power and that kind of thing. Who knows if that'll actually happen, but I think it's interesting to think about this in the context of that. As much as I think these fight scenes are absolutely <laughs> ridiculous in in Gold Dol Guldur, it's it's insane to watch Saruman and Christopher Lee, who's like 100 <laughs> years old at this point, just like flailing around with his And you know they're swinging at nothing. You know they're just swinging around in air. Well, that's not even him. That can't be yeah, him. That's There's true. No, not a way that that's him. Yeah. Every now and then they do a little insert swing and then it's a bunch of, uh, you know, stunt actors. I, I There's something about the way that CG and action and people started to realize that you can have CG creations move at faster than human speeds and and like it gives it sort of a kinetic energy thing and these these like spirits are shooting all over the place but it just becomes mm -hmm. chaos yep. like it, it's insane it's the one of the craziest scenes i've ever seen in yeah. maybe not a good way <laughs> it's so weird and one of the things that i wanted was like saruman before he was corrupted and i think this is like an indication that he isn't fully corrupted yet here that he's here fighting at all but yeah, it's like that doesn't sell it for me enough still because you're fighting these like hologram ring race. I actually want to give them credit like this didn't consume as much of this movie as I thought it was going to. It loomed larger in your mind than it actually is. It really movie. did. I thought this was like half of the movie it was spent <laughs> doing all this stuff. And, you know, it's it's a it's a short sort of caveat that I think you cut from the theatrical release, put into the extended edition. People would appreciate it. And um you know, cut down on some. Of, it, it was still a little long, uh, but cool to see the characters. Love Gladriel because she's Kate Blanchett and is definitely the best elf. Yeah, I liked seeing her be badass because I'm. I, I, it's like we've seen Gandalf be badass plenty of times. We've seen lots of other characters, but like I want to see her. Did you love the like Dutch angle shot of Elrond as he walks in and he's like, "You should have stayed dead," and he like pulls his swords out yeah, and he starts swinging so, away. So I know I, I don't know maybe Rings of Power will like bring this a little bit. But, like, I don't need Elrond being an action figure, like, dual-wielding elven blades and slicing through ring race. Like, and maybe that's within his character, but he always just seemed like this ethereal statesman who's not going to, like, wade into the battlefield like this. Maybe that's a misreading of the character to me, but, like, that's the way I always perceived him. So it's weird to have him show up and uh, be this, like, superhero. Well, I mean, we see him on battlefields and stuff throughout, like some of the flashbacks, in, right. even in the original trilogy. But again, it's not really how I think of his character. Yeah. Anyway, my my point was more of the one liner yeah. thing felt out of place for a character like yeah, that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then we see Sauron. Yeah, and and this you've already talked about this last time, and I'll just you know underline it. 
this doesn't make a lot of sense from a lot of these characters with what we see from them in Lord of the Rings later. Like they, they all seem like they can't believe uh, Saruman, I guess is the only one that makes sense. Cause like he obviously does know and has <laughs> gone over, but like, how do these characters not know about Sauron or not like aware that he is back and doing his shit after this happened? Not that long ago, even if it is like 50 years ago or whatever in the timeline. Yeah. All right. Um, and then let's get into like the armies all coming together. Uh, we've, cause we've already talked about Thorin and sort of his sickness. So uh, you know what? Let's, let's have, let's have Laura wait in. I feel like we haven't <laughs> let you talk enough. So yeah, these, these battles all start. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? Um, well, there's a part in the book and I think in the movie as well, where Bilbo is like, man, like we shouldn't have even bothered with smog because now everybody wants this gold and now there's going to be a war over this gold. And so he's wishing it just never happened to begin with. And so like, I, I do love hobbits and like what they represent and how they're not corrupted by greed at all. Like they just want to, you know, live their nice homes in the Shire. And they like, obviously Thorin at the end talks about that, about valuing the right things. The Bagginses, at least. Yeah. yeah. Other hobbits do seem pretty greedy, <laughs> considering them stealing everything from his yeah. house at the end. <laughs> and just a note, um, Thorin does say something along those mm-hmm. lines at the end, but not not quite what I would have liked to hear. Yeah, they switched it. But uh, but yeah, the gathering of the armies, the elves, like they just wanted their elfin treasure. I feel like the only people who have like a reason to be invested are the people of Lake Town because they lost their home and they need to get yeah. started again. Yeah, they need to really sell that. Like, someone needs to say, like, you know, fucking hundreds of people just died taking out this dragon, and yeah, you promised this, so, like, he does say, you know, stay good with your promise, but, like, yeah, there should be a lot more pressure on uh, Thorin, even than there was, to to give the people of Lake Town some reparations, I guess, to, like, help rebuild the town. Yeah, and then when they start battling, and Thorin and the main dwarves are staying inside because Thorin doesn't want to fight... And the other dwarves are upset being like, we should be out there. And then when Thorin finally decides to fight, they're like, yeah. It's like, why were you waiting for Thorin to give you the okay? Why didn't you just go out there anyway? I didn't understand that either. Yeah, had he like explicitly forbidden it? I guess so. I don't know if that was clear. So were they too attached to the gold? And they were like, well, I mean, we'll blame it on Thorin, but. Well, there's, there is something kind of interesting here about like, the role of kings in uh, Lord of the Rings. And it's something that I think is a little bit antithetical to us as Americans. We don't really ever think of this, but for Tolkien, it was a way of life and and something that I think a lot of English people think about the monarchy. And to me, this like Lord of the Rings, one of the things I don't like about it and and is definitely true is there's this myth of the good wise king and that all we need is a good wise king to support and everything will be solved. And you look at Aragorn is can play that role, and like uh, even like um, Theoden is that he's just been corrupted by some outside force, but once he's restored, then everything is sort of like back on track. Like you can look at these good wise kings, and like Thorin should be that, but he gets corrupted. But like it still comes down to like a single man with ultimate power, <laughs> and like I'm not comfortable with that, and I don't think that's a good way to look at it. And I think a lot of fantasy that that might appear Tolkien esque is is often like trying to interrogate that and like show other sides of it. I think Game of Thrones, one of the major themes of that is just how fucked up the monarchy is and how bad a system of government it is. Yeah, I I do think there's a little bit of that like to us, it's like, yeah, just go do it anyway. But I think there is a built in like, no, no, my king has forbid me to do this. So none of us are going to do this thing we want to do. That's just the law. On your honor, you know, and that's such a big thing. Like Bard brings up Thorin's 
honor a bunch of yeah. times and and that how how much like they must stand by their honor and stand by their word and he didn't stand by his word and what that means yeah. and how hypocritical that is and everything um i agree it is always kind of weird to just have it all be a, like all of it's about a king even like the ultimate the ultimate reward for all of the lord of the rings is that aragorn gets to be a king and we all get to follow him and he gets to rule over yeah. us and it's just like uh, yeah maybe he's the merciful amazing king but still a bad system of government like you said yeah, it's still a bad, bad system of government there's no further elections what if he changes as he gets older you know he has a son and now that son's going to be king automatically what if he's shitty like <laughs> you know yeah there's a lot of problems yeah <laughs> with the system of government <laughs> uh but with the battle leading up to the battle, I did like the part where Bilbo gives the other side the Arkenstone as a way to barter and try to get Thorin to give in. And I love too in the book, but also in the movie, when they show Thorin the Arkenstone and he's like, What? Like you stole that? Like how did you get that? And he's like accusing them of something. And like I love the bravery of Bilbo being like, actually I gave it to them. Like he could have been like, like, don't tell him it was me, but he owns up to yeah. it. So. Some of the best parts of this movie, I think, is right there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's playing on this idea of like you knowing somebody too, like the, in the same way that the book did. And I love that the book did that because it's like challenging kids who this is targeted towards to think about things like that. Like you think you know somebody and you're willing to trust them so far, and you think like I'm going to do this and betray this person, but we've been through so much together. There, there's no way that he'll ever do anything against me. And then you see Thorin mm -hmm. try to kill him, and you're like holy shit, like, one, the sickness is bad, but you feel bad for Bilbo because, like, he was expecting the best out of these people and, and these, you know, he's gone on a journey with them and, you know, there's some lessons there, I think. Yeah, and I guess that's one of the, if I if can return to that, my criticism about Thorin and the way the dragon sickness affects him, I think that does come back to, like, I find it more interesting for the dragon sickness to just be, like, another name for greed and for it just to be, like, you have all this greed now and it's corrupting. And we see it corrupt a person who is otherwise good. And instead, I think this movie leans heavily into, no, no, it's a magic curse. And this magic curse is affecting him. And that's just less interesting to me. I, you, know, you can be ambiguous about it. I'm fine with that. Like, maybe there's some magical element to it. It's kind of unclear. But no, no, they're like, no, no, this is, this is magic curse on Thorin that he just and he also just kind of snaps out of it willy-nilly like he's like walking and has a thought and he snaps out of it like I don't feel like there's like a good character motivation to change at that time I don't know what I feel like there could have been something else to, to demonstrate why he why he has this change of heart other than just this like weird dream of being swallowed by gold to get into the battle that starts out um I just felt bad. Like I, I started thinking about the lore and you're like, what if you're this an elf? You're an ancient being, immortal, yeah. unless killed in battle. And you go to this ridiculous skirmish that starts because of this greedy person. And you get killed by a bunch of dwarves for some fight that doesn't matter before the real fighting begins <laughs> with an orc. I'm just like thinking about the tragedy of being one of the elves or dwarves or anyone who died. Yeah, because some people definitely die in that initial. Yeah, in that weird like arrow I don't know, defender thing that they shoot out. I like, thought it was, I thought it was kind of cool. And that's not something I don't think would work in real life. Um, I've never heard of anything like that. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to me logically that it would work, but it's still cool to see. That's like one of the, every now and then there's like a rule of cool thing that starts to like make me go like, all right, this is pretty cool. Even though a lot of everything else going on is kind of bullshit. Like I can appreciate that this is kind of a cool moment. I thought the shooting out of those, like spinning ballista things and it chopping up all the elven arrows. That was pretty rad. Yeah. 
So I want to bring some attention to something that I I really disliked, but didn't have context for that. I was it Dane? Think most people do. It was Dane. <laughs> so hold on before you say anything. Uh, Billy Connolly has Parkinson's, and he was cast in the role. And from what I could gather, by the time of filming, the disease had worsened to where he couldn't make the journey. So out of respect, Jackson still had him record his lines and CG him in and everything like that. Okay, so fair. Something that definitely bothered me for a long time that I feel like I wanted to get out there so other people who felt the same way would know reasoning okay. why. Wait, which character is this? Yeah. The leader of the dwarves. The dwarf leader. The cousin of uh, Thor. Yeah, he's a, he's 100% CGI in the whole movie. Um, he shows up on his on his uh, page. He's the one that like yeah. tells them to go sodding off. I thought that line kind of yes. took me out because it's like that's clearly like a British phrase. Is that really like a? They're very the the dwarves are very like Scottish or something yeah. almost like they, they or Scottish Irish whatever. I, maybe I shouldn't be confu- conflating the two, but um, they always kind of talk like that and they have that kind of attitude. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's they were trying to make him a real character, yeah. right? Like he had he was all this like bravado and he doesn't give a shit about these elves and he's making fun of them and like, i think outside of the fact that this this person obviously he he did his best to still do right by this person and have him appear in the film i would still have had problems with the character there's still things that aren't great Yeah, i'm just character. talking about the character like, at this point because like yeah. I, I i get what you're saying like i didn't love the you know obviously having a character be 100 cgi but i didn't know the context of it and now that i know that okay and honestly like my uh, i have other criticisms of the character and he wasn't like yeah. the worst thing about this movie by any stretch he really wasn't he was just like way over the top super broad there for the kids you know like that that he was a lot of that um it was cool seeing seeing a dwarven army that was something we hadn't seen in lord of the rings and like how they fought fought actually felt different um i liked the how they all had the they had these like mechanized you know devices that they had created for the battlefield and that's what made them fearsome uh, in addition to being like sort of stout um yeah they, yeah they had these like Chair, war chariots and they had these spinning ballistas and they had all these cool things um, that I thought were pretty neat and, and showed that they are like a different kind of fighting force. In the original movie when all the elves show up they seem sort of ethereal and like their their training is just so has been going on for so long they're so well trained that they can sort of move in unison in an inhuman way and it seems like otherworldly. Here it seemed completely robotic. It seemed it seemed like and it also bordered on like fascist, like if you've seen like um, I like fascist that, yeah. parades where every everyone's like in like lockstep. That's what it felt like at a certain point, and it doesn't help that Thrandil is this like bizarre character who a lot of us like. He's just not likable in this movie, and he's got like weird motivations. He seems cowardly at times, full of himself at others. Um, you know, I like Lee Pace a lot, but. You know, this character, Thrandall, I do not like. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Yeah, he doesn't. I, I couldn't ever get a read. Yeah. And I think that is some of the intention with some of the the elves is we can't really comprehend their, their motives at times. But yeah, it seemed wishy-washy a he little bit. He just seems prideful and greedy and just like, and also short-sighted in weird ways and like close-minded. Which doesn't fit for an elf, right? Someone who's immortal, like shouldn't have any of those traits. It doesn't seem to to me... The the wood elves were were said to be less wise. That was like mm-hmm. one of the things they said about them in the book. But it may have something to do with the fact that they splintered off from the other elves. Like there's a reason they're not in the same area and they're considered different elves. Maybe that maybe their personality traits are mm-hmm. along. But those you know, lines then they should be fighting game. differently. They shouldn't have that that super organized yeah. like 
you know, Elrond's elf style fighting. Uh, so small thing, but I just absolutely hated the moment where they have this awesome shield wall s- established by the dwarves with their spears out, and, and then the fucking elves <laughs> jump in front of it. <laughs> That's the kind of shit where I'm like, yeah, you could talk all you want about, you know, like overall moving armies around the battlefield, but like that kind of shit bothers me so much. Like I was like, yeah, he just wanted it to look cool. They're just, it's just for looking cool. They want to show a scene of them jumping over, they're jumping over the shield wall in, in slow motion. They should have been firing arrows. <laughs> you have a rushing force. You're going to hit a fucking shield wall with spears. You rain arrows down ab- from above, and now you've created this like meat grinder in front of the you know, wall of shields. And instead, they jump into the front of it, completely ruin the defensive position they have, and render the shield wall basically pointless. And you're, now you have spears at your fucking back. When you get sh- like yeah. when they hit, run into you, they're gonna push you into the, your own spears. <laughs> it's so stupid. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it was supposed to be partly the folly of the and like the overconfidence of the elves too. Like we don't need these shield walls <laughs> from these dwarves. We're gonna jump right into the fray like we always do. No, they just w- they just wanted to look cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, since we're talking about more of the battle, I'm gonna read some of this summary. Inside Erebor, Thorin suffers traumatic hallucinations before regaining his sanity and leading his company to join the battle. He rides with Dwalon, Fili, and Keeley to kill Azog. Meanwhile, Tariel and Legolas arrive to warn the dwarves of Bolg's arrival, and Bilbo volunteers to relay the news to Thorin using his magic ring to move through the combat unseen. Thorin comes back and he leads the company, and these 13 dwarves somehow lead this like amazing <laughs> dwarven slash elven charge to just like completely <laughs> decimate the orcs. The, the fucking chariot. Oh, the chariot is, is uh, all of that should have been cut. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, the rule of cool again. Every now and then, I was like, that was a kind of a cool scene, but like, it doesn't. It doesn't save the fucking chariot decapitating eight trolls, and like weird shit like that. Like, it gets too far. Now, I did like the moment when it was first in the river, and that one troll like crashes in through the water and is like chasing after them through the ice. It was over the top, but it was a kind of cool like spectacle. I was kind of into it. So there are moments where I was kind of into it, but then there's just a lot of shit that's just way too much. By the way, I was trying to keep track. I counted 23 decapitations that I spotted an actual head come off the shoulders in this movie. Now, I didn't... I was going to say, there's no way. There's I a think sequ- there's a lot more implied because there are moments where it looks like Legolas chops off like 100 heads. <laughs> there's a couple of moments, but I didn't actually see heads coming off, so I didn't count those. Um, I only saw 23. So this child movie does have 23 decapitations in it. Yeah. <laughs> and blood. And yeah, there's blood and stuff. Which this <laughs> one, the extended version is rated R, whereas the regular one is PG-13. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, it surprised me. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's why there was so much nudity and sex. And, and Damn, we could, we could, yeah, we could have had extended sex scenes between our dwarf and elf love <laughs> <Yeah>. interests. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, that would have yeah, been a change. So... <laughs> Azog kills Feely and Bilbo, and the other dwarves are forced to watch. Bolg overpowers Toriel and then kills Keeley, who had come to her aid. Legolas battles Bolg and eventually kills him. The great eagles arrive with Radagast and Bayorn, and the orcs are defeated. In the climax, Thorin engages Azog in a duel and kills him, but is fatally wounded in the process. What if in the extended scenes, Thorin had just started fucking dropping F-bombs everywhere? <laughs> I would have loved it. <laughs> hey, hey, fuck you, Azog. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Let's earn yeah. that R rating. <laughs> How did you guys feel about this Feely and Keely death scenes? Did they affect I, you? Did, were you sad for Thorin? As far as Keely goes, like I did not care. <laughs> and just like the romance <laughs> they had going on, and it's like, oh man, like, uh, like who cares? 
it, it was a moment where they actually had stakes, but it came so late. Mm-hmm. Like, so we actually saw someone that we cared about die in this battle where we'd seen like a million orcs die. And it's like, okay, so they actually can harm somebody, I guess, but only when it's like a very plot important moment. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it didn't really work, but I was like glad that finally it happened. Like maybe kill one of those brothers earlier on in the fight to like show some real stakes to this battle. Yeah. Because otherwise nobody dies. Knowing both of your reactions pretty well so far through this movie, I know that both of you stood out of your seat and started clapping when the <laughs> eagles flew down and then Bayorn turns into a bear and then Radagast comes in with his bunnies and he's like there for some reason. No, he's riding on an eagle. That's what it was. He rode on an eagle, yeah. Still covered in bird shit. Their bird shit, more likely. Yeah, what if he had like a different color of bird shit on him? And it was like, that's eagle shit. I think we need to see the scene. What I want my R-rated cut is the scene where he applies his bird shit. <laughs> what is he doing? He's like going with our shit. Like, oh, rat All right. Uh, uh, Thorin engages with Azog. What do we think about this one-on-one fight? I thought it was... Fine. Like the part where um, Azog is under the ice, like it's obviously he's going to like come uh, come up out of the ice and not be dead. So it was very predictable. Defies all physics when he bursts out of that ice. Yeah. Thing. He's an orc, man. He's very powerful. He could just like launch himself straight up out of water while floating on your back through <laughs> ice. At one point in the movie, I was sort of just like watching it, but kind of checked out and just being like, okay, let's like all these fight scenes, let's wrap it up. But I did think, like, his death scene with Bilbo, they changed the wording from the book, which I thought was interesting. But I thought the death death scene with Bilbo, I enjoyed that. I thought they did a good job. It could have been better, but... I, I agree. I think it could have been better. I, I was I, I was expecting a little more. I think it's fine. I, and honestly, like you said, at this point in the movie, so much ill will has been built up that like I was like really I was like, you know, nail the scene or don't. Things are kind of happening. So just figure it out. And... I walked away feeling like that always was the strongest part of the story. And this this interaction was was great. But I really wanted to hear him say the the Tolkien lines. Like, yeah, they word. switched it to him just saying, like, if people valued home more. Right. That's what he says in the movie. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so I wrote down the change. Um, so he says, if more people valued home above gold, the world would be a merrier place. Um, and I wrote fuck right off with that. <laughs> like, I don't. How dare you? Um, it's one of the best lines in the book, and they have butchered it, in my opinion. Um, I, 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 I know I'm probably just mad at this point, um, but there is a thing in writing, especially in writing poetry, where there is power at the end of a sentence. And Tolkien knows this, and he ends with world. He says it would be a merrier world. Um, And that to me is a much stronger line than the world would be a merrier place. It's a weaker word to end on. Um, So that seems like a small thing, but it's also an unnecessary change. Why not have Thorin say the line? It's one of the best lines in in like the entire book. Have him say it. Yeah, it makes no sense. You don't need to change it. And that's another thing where it just makes me mad, where it's like, You've already you've already mangled this adaptation. Just like give us the line at least. Come on, um, unnecessary change. And they do that a few times um, throughout these movies, where there's a couple of like really important lines. They just decide to change a little bit. 
just to like do it. They're like, oh, let's just fuck with that line a little bit for no reason that I can discern. It's like they wanted to modernize it, I guess, and make it like sound a little bit more like how we talk. But that's not what I want in The Hobbit. I want it to sound like Tolkien, like sound like this other world where they speak in an elevated way. Or to me, it feels like also it's a time where they're like they want to take ownership and make it their own. Like I think a lot of people, a lot of filmmakers want to make it their own. And I think some you got to fight against that ego uh, every once in a while, too. And just yeah, I, I think I read this line word for word in like our Hobbit book coverage, right? Because it's one of my favorites, you know? And yeah, yeah and if more people valued home above gold instead of if more people valued what is it like song? Like friendship and our friendship and song above hoarded gold. And instead of hoarded gold, you just say gold. Like, it's why? Why change it? And you take away all of that poetry. And then, yeah, you also take away Thorin's final moment where he says, but sad or merry, I must leave it now. And I feel like that's also a really sad moment because he, he knows he's dying and he's like saying in that moment and it, they just omit that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they had to find something to cut for time. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, really, we're trying to get the pacing down for this film. I, I also like, and I know I'm being nitpicky, but I didn't like that he was like full on whispering these lines. Like, I, I, I don't know. It, 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 I didn't like the performance of them. So, like, there's just a few things. Like, I didn't like that they were just like laying on the ice there. Like, I felt like this needed to be like a, a quieter moment between these two characters. In the, I mean, in, even in the book, I think they, they find him in a tent where someone's already been tending to He's, him. like, been taken off, and he's just now he's, like, succumbing to his wounds. But he's, yeah, he's, like, surrounded by people at this point, and they move it instead to this, like, moment after the fight. They just don't like these decisions. And, again, I think the animated yeah. Hobbit did it better. They had him say the actual lines, for one. Yeah. I got to talk about the wart on this movie. And that is Alfred. Oh, yeah. Alfred is a a wart of a character who keeps coming back for no discernible reason. Characters seem to trust him. Bard puts him in charge of shit. Gandalf randomly has him, like, watch Bilbo. Like, there's no reason for any of these characters who know better to trust this man. He should have been crushed when fucking Smog landed on Trump at the start. I mean, the master. (laughs) And it should have taken out Alfred as well. And just, like, sent him down to a watery death and, like, eliminate this character from this movie. He should have been gone. And if you're talking about cutting, any everything about Alfred should have been gone from this movie. Absolutely. And it was long extended sequences with him in it. And he's also there just for comedic effect. You, want, you were talked earlier in our, in our first film episode, The Unexpected Journey. You, got, you and Andrew were talking about the... Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> this is the Jar Jar Binks of this film. Like this is Jar Jar. This is the character that completely ruins every scene he's in. And he was just like very cartoonish, like you said, like uh, wearing the woman's clothing and putting gold in there. And then even his death was like I thought was cartoonish, where it's like he's on the catapult and a single coin yeah. sends him off flying, and it's like why? What's going on here? The jokes were out of touch too, though, to me. Like a lot of them felt like feel very dated. And this movie came out ten years ago, or yeah, like Like, the cliche cowardly man who's hiding away and wants the gold. Yes, yeah, and like it, it, I don't think it's an accident. I think it's intentional that the cowardly man is literally wearing women's clothing. Like to me, it's 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 transphobic. It's misogynistic. It's it's showing the inverse of the masculinity that. We're, we're, we're championing elsewhere and we're, sh- we're laughing at it. We're deriding it. Um, it's, it's, it's not a good look. 
it's not something they should have had in this movie. <laughs> and um, it's akin to the moments where we see uh, Bombor fighting and they in- they decided to include a sound effect that's like, a- I don't know if it was like a sad trombone or like what it was, but he has a couple of moments where he like belly bounces people and stuff. And it's like, that's the shit that I, like, I- I'm like, okay, yes, we know he's he's a fat character. We don't have to like repeatedly show that about him. And they do. That's like the only thing they care about with Bombor. Um, which frustrated me. I will say there was one moment where Bilbo, um, and maybe this was just a decision by the actor, so shout out to him if it was, but Bilbo, when he first reveals that he gave them the the heart of the mountain, if you look at Bil- Bombor's face, <laughs> it's actually really funny. His eyes go super big, <laughs> and he starts like looking at Bilbo like, oh, shit. <laughs> and like that was the only dwarf that was reacting in that way in the background, and I loved it. Um, but anyway, it's just moments where that like uh, really just not good looks for this movie. Like that was a decision that I hated. They came back to it a couple times with Bombor, and then yeah, the stuff with the with the uh, with Alfred is just it's just all bad. And it just doesn't make sense for him to have survived. He should have died along he with the, died. the mayor. Yeah, there's no question. And then and then and then he should have been run out. Like he was repeatedly given power. Like Bard says, like you're on watch. What? This character is on watch. Bard, no, if anybody should know. And then Gandalf, who's this wise ju- judge judge of character, shows up and decides to give him, randomly, he's like, you there. And he calls him over and gives him responsibility. Come on, yeah. Gandalf. All right, Bilbo makes peace with the dying Thorin, while Toriel mourns Keeley with Thranduil acknowledging their love. Thranduil advises Legolas to seek out a Dunedain ranger in the north who he calls by the name Strider. Mm. Thorin is buried with the Arkenstone, along with Keeley and Feely, and Dane is crowned king. As Thorin's company settles back into Erebor and Dale begins to recover with Bard as the leader, Bilbo bids farewell to the company's remaining members and journeys home to the Shire with Gandalf. As the two part ways on the outskirts of the Shire, Gandalf admits his knowledge of Bilbo's ring and warns him of it, although Bilbo assures him that he had lost the ring. Bilbo returns to Bag End to find his belongings being auctioned off because he was presumed dead. He stops the sale and starts tidying up his home, revealing he still possesses the ring. Sixty years later, Bilbo receives a visit from Gandalf on his 111th birthday. Uh, There was a moment near the end. I think it's like before he starts heading home where he's sitting with Gandalf and Gandalf is just like fiddling with his pipe and they're just sitting there. And I read, I think I read that there was supposed to be dialogue, but then they got rid of it and had them just sit there and have this moment. And that was another scene that I liked too. Was that an extended edition scene? Because I was was like, I feel like this didn't make it in the final cut. I don't remember actually. Hmm. I don't remember. Tariel, I want to return to her. So she is on the beach surrounded by human suffering from this town that's been decimated. Doesn't give a shit. Her face looks like she couldn't care less about what's going on. And then she hears word <laughs> of, uh, you know, Keeley's off fighting somewhere. And she's like, oh, and like now she cares all of a sudden. Again, very frustrated with her only seeming to care about. Is, wait, is it Feely or Keeley that she's in love with? Keeley. Keeley, okay. So because of him being involved, she cares. And she's had this, like, disagreement with Thranduil, who, like, why does he get to have a say in, like, who she likes? I don't know. It's not, she's not, he's not her father. He's just a king, I guess, so he gets to have a say. Um, but then it's complete bullshit that when he dies, all of a sudden now Thranduil's going to be like, because it was real, your love was real. <laughs> bullshit! If he was alive right now, you would be saying no to this. The only reason you're saying that is because he's dead and you don't have to have a dwarf 
who's around like dating an elf that uh, clearly you are not okay with. Uh, so I was so mad at him in this moment and like, I gave him no credit for that. Now that he's dead and he's no threat to me, and I can I can now acknowledge that your love was real. Like, come on. Yeah. Um. Oh, so touching back in on, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but I just have a lot of like anger about this movie. <laughs> um. So Thorin fighting Azog, I'm I was good with it. I liked the like fighting on the ice. Like I thought that was cool. The idea of like having him throw the stone and I have that be the thing that like makes him fall into the water. That was pretty cool. But I feel like that the whole fight was sort of distract, distracted by what's going on with Legolas, which is a bunch of complete horseshit. Um, <laughs> it's not good. He's flying in upside down. He's 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 cutting off you know like a thousand heads in a row, however many it is. It seems like now yeah my count maybe a full should, battalion of orcs. Yeah yeah. He uh he then you know goes up on this tower and he's sniping out everybody, basically single handedly killing an entire army. And then uh, he collapses the tower. He rides it down and he's fighting Bolg. There's the infamous scene of him running up the falling uh. stones, which makes no <laughs> sense at all. <laughs> Complete bullshit. And this is just the kind of stuff I hate from Legolas. They turned him into a full-blown, defying physics, action superhero. And Legolas flies in literally like Superman. And I, I hate it. And that distracts from Thorin's moment that we should be getting with Azog. Because that fight is happening at the same time. And yet we don't spend time like that sh- we should have seen a lot more of that fight we should have seen it move yeah. locations it's, it's like all fought on this ice on on the river instead i would have liked to see some some dy- dynamic movement within that fight because that's the character we've been following all along not legolas he's a character from another movie and his scenes the cgi yeah, was just so bad with legolas too it was distracting yeah it looked, looked hokey mm-hmm. yeah it's so funny because as you look at the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you see that he starts, Peter, you starts to use more and more CG and starts to like kind of get get out of, um, he starts to kind of get in his own way with it a little bit. And here he just continued that trend through. It's like one, two, and three. And then by three, you're getting to some of the, some of the CG stuff that they were attempting in the early 2000s. It looks a little hokey now. And then you go four five and six with the hobbit films and they're just adding more and more and more and then once you get to here not only are they doing the most i read that there's 96 percent of this film had visual effects in them and 25 percent of this film is entirely cg environments and cg Uh characters so a quarter of the film is that and 96 having visual effects and not giving your artists enough time to work and having things look unfinished and there's just it's a lot of unfortunate circumstances to put yourself up against no uh, you cut, I think you cut Legolas stuff. You cut the Alfred stuff that we talked about. You cut some of the... Tariel, probably. The Galadriel uh, Gandalf stuff and add that for, for maybe later. And you end up with a film that's like an hour and a half, maybe. And uh, and, and honestly, two films is what you end yeah. up with instead of three. <laughs> right, right. And and you just, I, I just think this is so much more palatable. I think if you, if this is brief and there are big moments that you like in it, you remember it a lot more than something that meanders and sort of spins its wheels and, and kind of has a bunch of like CG bullcrap happen. So I've got a question for you, James. Go for it. Did you remember that Shai Hulud is in this movie? Shai Hulud. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I <laughs> definitely did. So I remember the worms. There's no question that I remember the worms. It's def- they, they even said in the appendices, they were trying to avoid the Dune reference. And I'm like, how, how are you going to have giant, giant sandworms and not be making a Dune reference? Um, it's, I guess I, I did read. There is a talk of a wereworm in the Hobbit. Bilbo says that he would go off and fight a wereworm in the in the some the lost sands or something like that, and they decided to take that and take some liberties and actually create them because there is another part that says during the Battle of Five Armies that 
the orcs, or sorry, in the Battle of Five Armies, it's the goblins and the wargs come out from every dark corner and tunnel. And they, t- they were like, oh, tunnel. Let's have them tunnel in. And so that was the choice. All I remembered about Battle of Five Armies, I was like, wasn't there weird giant worms <laughs> yeah. in there? They don't do anything else. I thought for sure no. they were going to fucking wreck stuff in the battlefield, but th- no, they just... You could literally have all of those dig under a mountain and collapse all of Erebor. Like, just like... Yeah. You know? dig, right in, dig, dig right in and get to the treasure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Getting to the end here as everything's sort of coming together. Um, we see Bilbo say goodbye to all of the dwarves. And this is a moment where, again, I think... Something about saying goodbye to people is is a universal thing that I think to, to me, I'm always like, oh, man, saying goodbye to people. You never know if you'll see them again and that kind of thing. And so saying goodbye to the dwarves, no matter the adventure, I still was like, oh, OK, this is it. This is the end. And they were kind of closing it. And I felt a little bit of like uh, emotion there. And I was like, you know, it's sad to see them part. And hopefully they come visit him in the Shire. And then the parting with Gandalf and everything. So I I don't know. That's one of the parts that to me was like kind of what I was getting at with this idea of like certain moments having the emotion that maybe it didn't even earn, but I still felt. I did like that moment when he said goodbye to the dwarves too. Yeah. thought it was sweet. Yeah. Because he says, you know, tea time is at four o'clock and, you know, don't even bother knocking. Like it was sweet and it was nice. And I just wish the scene hadn't been set up with this like hokey reveal that they're all standing there. (laughs) Like I just didn't like that moment of like we're ta- he's talking and then all of a sudden he's like tell him yourself and he turns around and they're all just standing there like why do that just make a normal scene what is wrong with you <laughs> um, but yes I did I did like the there's like a sweet goodbye there and yeah I mean I think that's powerful right because it shows that full that coming full circle of like they're the worst house guests in the world at the start of the movies uh, of all three movies and we know that he feels that way and even has a moment where i think he kind of considers like what i'm doing here by inviting them over again he's like ooh they're going to eat me out of house and home and make a wreck and wreck the place but ultimately he doesn't care like he realizes that's not important it shows a little bit of growth from him and i mean that gets back around to when he finds his handkerchief and he like makes a big moment of that and something i didn't really make the connection until i was looking elsewhere uh, like in reading that that was a big deal because in the first movie, something I forgot was that he f- forgot his handkerchief. Oh, yeah. When they're re- I totally forgot. That you forgot part. that? So- yeah. That's like a, f- a famous part of the book. Come on. <laughs> he can't. He's like, we got to go back. Like, I, I love that moment. Back. It's yeah. great. Yeah. A line I liked in the book, too, which was like simple, but it's before he goes to see Smog and it says something about how uh, like he's not the same hobbit he was when they left Bag End without his handkerchief. And then it's like he hasn't had an, a handkerchief for months now. Uh, and so I just thought that was a cool line in the book of just how he's changed and grown and gotten out of his comfort zone. That growth, they fast-tracked it yeah. in the first movie. That's something you touched on, James, and it should have been drawn out a little more to where when by the time this these moments come around, it's like cool to see Bilbo truly different now, whereas I, it felt like he'd already kind of been this heroic version of himself for two movies by the time we get here. <laughs> And then, yeah, I like that he returns to find Bag End has been completely ransacked and they've gone through all of his shit. And, like, it brings the stakes back down to, like, show what his life's going to be like now. It's like, yeah, he's going to have to deal with this bullshit and no one's going to understand where he's been. And it's that it's that hero's journey coming full circle. The hero returns home changed, right? And now he's different, even though home is traditionally kind of the same, but he's different in it. But it also shows that, like, home has moved on, too, in some ways from him. And now he has to find a way back into it. And I just like Bilbo so much as a character that it's frustrating to me that we end up only being able to view him through the lens of Lord of the Rings. 
uh, by the end, right? Like we see him join back up with Gandalf and say the lines from Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, I just want to like focus. I I want these movies to be about Bilbo and let him be his own character. And like you said, in this last movie, he's like not even in that much, really. He's not the focus. Yeah. So I didn't like that. I feel like he wasn't even in the second one either. (laughs) You know, there's. I mean, he talks to Smaug. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to see some more guilt about what about all the people who fucking died. Like, like they they hinted at that, but then you know they quickly move on from anybody feeling bad about what happened to Lake Town. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're we're at the end here. So I think we gotta we gotta wrap this thing. And I'm 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 mad and I'm bummed that we are ending our, what could potentially be our last Lord of the Rings episode on such a sour note. Um, but I I want I want to convey that like my passion is coming from a place of um, love because I love these films and I, and I think there's a lot, so much potential in the books. And I like the books a lot. And like, I just wish we'd gotten something better here. So that's why I do get animated. Um, Laura, we'll have you weigh in last um, as the guest to be the sort of cap on this thing. Uh, for me, it's, it's the book several times over. I'm not going to draw this thing out too much. Um, it's, it's not even close. Uh, the book is just way better. And it's funny because I actually like revisiting the book. I don't think it's like, the greatest book ever or anything it has its own problems but they're small in comparison to i think what peter jackson got himself into here yeah i think the distance from how long i've seen these films allowed me to enjoy a lot about them i i had never seen the appendices never seen the extended edition interesting to dive back into middle earth i was happy for the first movie or two and then yeah it sucks to kind of end on this we we kind of knew this would always be the beast that we had to tackle if we were going to cover the hobbit is that there is, you know, some things that I knew that I didn't like with this. And so and I knew that I really didn't like. <laughs> but but we've we've covered this this world for, you know, 20 ish hours, I would assume somewhere in that range. And and I, I think that there's something to be said for that. Like, I, I love this world. And the, the main reason the main thing I walk away with is just just bummed about what could have been with these with the two two films and Guillermo del Toro's vision and and like why it had to be done this way. And, and it feels like, yeah, in thinking about styles, it feels so much like Lord of the Rings in a way that the, the Hobbit should have been differentiated in a way and felt like it's an entirely different tone and its own thing. So, you know, I walk away thinking again, like I will not be revisiting specifically Battle of Five Armies potentially ever again. Maybe, you know, if I'm feeling crazy one day, but, uh, you know, I think I'll touch back in on some of the smog scenes and some of, I'll definitely watch the first one again at some point, I assume. Um, because I do think that genuinely the, the first one's not too bad and, and there are things that I like about it. Um, yeah, overall, I'm, there's no way I'm going to take the movies here. I'm taking the book every time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Laura, what do you think? Yeah. So even like because the book and Lord of the Rings in general, like it doesn't hold a place in my heart necessarily. And so these movies, they didn't anger me, but I definitely got bored with them. <laughs> and especially like nine hours worth of movies. And it was just so much um even though yeah they do have good moments but yeah they were just pretty forgettable for me in the end whereas the book I mean even though my first time reading the book had been you know like 20 plus years ago there were still scenes from it that I had remembered and so it was cool returning to it for this episode whereas these movies so much from the movies even though it had been only 10 years like it was almost like watching them for the first time because I remembered so little from the first time when I saw them but yeah so the book is definitely better uh, James mentioned in your book episode about how like the book, like how episodic it is and how it's a good one to read to your kids. 
And I thought that was a really cool thought too, where it's like, yeah, like even if I don't love The Hobbit, I think this would be a really fun one to read to kids and like get them into reading and books and the adventure. And uh, so yeah, the book. I want to give a huge shout out to Laura for joining us on the final and arguably worst of these three films and taking on the Herculean effort of watching nine hours just to just to be on one episode. So we really appreciate it. And and especially with with, you know, you've said that it's not your first choice for genre. So thank you. Yeah. And when I agreed to be on it, I did not realize that each movie was basically three hours. So when I saw that, I was like, <laughs> oh, man. Uh but it was cool to, <laughs> but it was cool to reread the book. And now I can say I've seen all these three movies because I had never even seen this third one before. So it's a cultural touchstone, right? Like I think, I think for better or for worse, you can, you can, ha- you know, have conversations about it. As, huh? as, mm-hmm. as someone who's covered adaptations, you know, you gotta, you gotta know the low points out there too. <laughs> I think this is one of them in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I agree. Thank you so much for, for taking on this, this huge task and, and joining us. Um, what is coming up on your show? So obviously people can find your show, whatever podcasts are, they can find you on YouTube, why the book wins. Mm -hmm. Um, what's coming up in, in October for, for people. So next week, October 19th, I'm covering the haunting of Hill house and Luke joins me for that one. So that was really fun. Um, which I get to rave about how much I love that book and like that adaptation. So if you want to hear me be positive, that's a good place to do it. (laughs) Yeah. So that was really fun. So what about after that? Do you, do you have any other like Halloween, October stuff coming out? My like Halloween episode was actually kind of a poor choice. I'm doing The Uninvited, which is a book from like 1940. And then the movie is 1944. But it's kind of a bad choice because it's not streaming anywhere and it's hard to find. So I was like, <laughs> we, we've done a few like that. <laughs> yeah, but I love the movie, though. And even though it's an older movie, I do think it's a great one. So if people can seek it out, it's worth finding. Wasn't there another remake of that film at some point, too? There's a movie called The Uninvited, but it's totally unrelated. Oh, okay. But and after the first week in November, I'm kind of continuing the Halloween theme and I'll be covering Frankenstein, which I know you guys recently did. Yes, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love Frankenstein. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to plug social media accounts, anything like that? Uh, so Instagram is where I am the most active. I did recently create a Twitter account like a month ago. I'm still like getting used to it. So I'm not like posting a ton, but you can follow me there. Follow me on Instagram, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And yeah. And if you go to whythebookwins.com, I have links. Well, I don't link to my Twitter, but you can find links to almost everything. And you're, are you at why the book wins on all of those? Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Laura. Uh, we appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, it's always fun to talk to you. Yeah, it was great being on. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. All right, so stick around for the very end of the episode where we're going to be announcing our Halloween coverage. But if you enjoyed our coverage of The Hobbit uh, and you enjoyed our guests and you enjoyed this episode, let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you chose to listen on. If you're on YouTube, give the video a like and go ahead and subscribe. All that good, fun stuff. Call to action. Yeah, you can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash ink to film. We have many different tiers, but for just $2 a month, you can get our bonus content, which this past month we covered the animated version of The Hobbit. If you just need yeah. a little bit more Hobbit. Just need more Hobbit in your life, don't we all? I, actually, at the yeah, I will admit at by the end of this, I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to move on to something else. <laughs> Same. 
it's like it's like someone forces you to smoke the whole pack, that that kind of stuff. That's what's been happening with you and the Hobbit. They're like, oh, you like the Hobbit, do you? Yeah. <laughs> and not to mention all the outside reading and resources that we go look into and stuff. Like it's been a month of the Hobbit for me. So. Yeah, and like Lord of the Rings, I'm always like, yeah, this is great, love this, and now I'm like, this is too much. Just imagine how Peter Jackson feels. <laughs> And you can follow us on social media. We are at Ink to Film on all the different sites, including Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff. All right. Time to announce. Yeah. Next week, we are going to take be taking a break. Yes, that's true. But the following week, we'll start our Halloween coverage. Right. And uh, we are tackling uh, a name that has been coming up in this coverage. Guillermo del Toro is releasing his Cabinet of Curiosities. And you're saying, what? Is That's an adaptation? Yes. Five of the eight episodes, we looked into it, are adapted from short stories. So we decided we're going to try weird coverage where we only cover those episodes. The other three, because it's an eight-episode season, we'll be doing on Patreon. But our idea for our Halloween episode is going to be the five short stories, the source material only. We're going to talk about the five short stories that are adapted And then we'll be tackling the five episodes over the course of the next two episodes of Ink to Film. If that makes sense, I've said the word episode a lot. Are you following it, James? Yeah, episode. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, there's an episode in there, multiple. I'm looking forward to it. Guillermo del Toro is an amazing filmmaker and just like one of my favorite people working in the industry. So I'm super excited to get a chance to tackle his work. I hope these these short stories are spooky. I'm excited for it, right? It's Halloween. We got two HP Lovecraft stories, which is a infamous perhaps author who we have not talked about yet so we will touch on him excited for that and hopefully you join us uh for that and if you really want to hear us talk about more lord of the rings go back and and yeah we've got lots of coverage of that so uh thank you for taking this journey with us and until next time keep adapting Three.